Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Please stop! I got a bad feeling about this. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Did you go out with Ray? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Get away from her, you bitch! You're gonna need a bigger boat. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Movie Nights podcast. My name is Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And welcome back to another episode of two grown young adults just talking about movies for 40 minutes. Uh, today's going to be another quick and easy episode. You know, eventually with the Movie Nights podcast, we want to be able to discuss movie news, current topics going on in the film industry. But for now, we're just going to kind of shoot shit about our favorite directors and the movies that they make. And then at the end of it, we're going to have our own little mini review for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it, Ryan. Rattle off some directors that just really make you love film. Uh, someone new that I've really started to like is uh, David Leach. Um, he co-directed um, John Wick, and he directed Atomic Blonde after that, and then recently Deadpool 2. And I've, I love his work when it comes to action scenes, because I just... I love the close, intimate, fat, like fast-paced uh, action scenes, especially in Atomic Blonde with Charlie's Theron. And I just, I'm a fan of his work when it comes to action sequences. Um, and then one more that I want to list off real quick before we go over to you with uh, some of your favorite directors is uh, Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. I I love the way he films his scenes with like the fast paced um, montage of like his characters getting ready or whatever. Like Hot Fuzz is probably one of my all time favorite movies, and his most recent movie, correct me if I'm wrong, was Baby Driver. That was yeah. his most recent movie, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I love that movie. I I just I think it's great, and I'm a little upset that they didn't win. They didn't win any Oscars, did they? I, I'm. That, I, think, I think editing? they got nominated for sound and editing. They didn't win, no. I don't, okay. I don't believe they won. Yeah, but I, I love the way that that movie was put together and all the mov- all the uh, sound cues with mm-hmm. the music. I thought that that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And uh, first of all, I also want to agree that Hot Fuzz is one of my favorite comedies ever. And mm-hmm. I also love Edgar Wright. And uh, David Leach, that was actually a really inter- interesting choice because you're right, he's sort of a newer director that's sort of kind of proving himself a little bit. Yeah. And uh, like John, John Wick is amazing. And... Um, like you said, the action sequences are great. And I believe he started off as a stuntman. So that kind of makes sense as to why yeah. he'd be able to do all that um, insanely well. And uh, Atomic Blonde, I love the action scenes in that movie. You know, I hate how that the narrative structure of that movie. But that could yeah, be a conversation for another day. But uh, I do love the action scenes. And I I also really liked Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, since we're just talking about David Leach, I'll go ahead and throw in the other co-director, which was Chad Stileski, who directed co-directed John Wick. And he made John Wick 2. Yeah. And the action scenes in John Wick 2 are absolutely amazing like i think the action scenes in john wick 2 are better than the ones in the original john wick yeah yeah i i can i can agree with you on that like they're just so well put together especially like the catacombs scene like oh my god but yeah um chat Stileski, um one of them is directing a new highlander movie reboot hmm. i do not remember for the life of me i know which it's one, one it is yeah i don't remember which one it is and i'm really lazy and i don't feel like looking it up right now it's called the highlander yeah so I'm like, okay, here. Ryan's gonna look it up while we, uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stall. So here we go. Um, going to talking about Edgar Wright, like you brought up. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. 
is an amazing movie. Another director that I'll bring up um, working today that I really, really like, his name is Denis Villeneuve, but if you, but if you look at his name, it spells like Denis Villeneuve, like it's very hard to, <laughs> it's hard to look, but apparently it's pronounced Denis Villeneuve, so you know, that's just a director's name right there. Yeah. And uh, he is such a nuanced filmmaker, like Arrival was such a fantastic movie, mm-hmm. because you know, I know a lot of people disappointed by that movie because they saw like an alien invasion and they were like, yo, alien action. But that, that is a heart-wrenching drama and science fiction storytelling that is so well done. Really? Yes. And I love the Blade Runner 2. Okay. To me, it belongs in the conversation of it might be better than Blade Runner 1, which is insane because both of those movies are masterpieces. But I love Blade Runner 2. And honestly, my favorite film of Denis Villeneuve is a movie that came out in 2013 called Prisoners. I don't know if you've seen it. It had Hugh Jackman, Terrence Howard, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. And it was about Hugh Jackman's daughter being kidnapped. And him trying to track down the killer. Well, okay, and I can confirm it was Chad Stileski who's directing the Highlander reboot. So I knew I was onto something there. Yeah. But uh, going back to Denis Villeneuve, um, his direction of Prisoners in that movie is so well done because Hugh Jackman's one of my favorite actors, and I'm a huge comic book fan, so naturally, every time he plays Wolverine, of course. I get a comic book hard on. Like, you know, he's so perfect in that role, especially in Logan. Oh, yeah. But I will say, Prisoners is my favorite Hugh Jackman performance. Like, really? it, it is insane. Like, there's a sequence where he has the person who he, who he thinks kidnapped his daughter, mm-hmm. and he is just raw emotion, screaming, almost beating this dude to, like, a new life. Jeez. Like, trying to find out, and it is so amazing. It pretty much be like, instead, if Taken, picture Taken, but instead of an action movie, it was a drama about an unhinged father trying to find his daughter. Hmm. And it is so... It's called Prisoners? Yeah, prisoners. Yeah. It's so insanely well done. Yeah, I watch that. Yeah. Like, you'll watch that, and then you'll want to watch all of that dude's films. <laughs> Denis, Denis Villeneuve is such a good director. Yeah, I'm going to have to add him to my directors to watch... Um, but another director that is a personal favorite of mine is Quentin Tarantino. Natural. And last episode, we talked about how I hadn't seen um, Reservoir Dogs yet, but I actually watched that last night, mm-hmm. and that movie was amazing. Yes. I love the way that Quentin Tarantino just like throws you in the middle of his movie, and you're like, what the hell's happened? And mm-hmm. then through flashbacks and through the dialogue, you kind of pick up pieces of like what's happened. Like, in Reservoir Dogs, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil it, but it's been out since 92. It's been so years. Yeah, you've seen it, or you should have seen it by now. But it's a heist movie without the heist. Yes, good, yes. And he throws you into it with Mr. Orange, who is played by Tim Roth, is shot, and he's bleeding out in the back of a car, and he's just crying and, like, trying to hold on to life, and you're like, what happened? Like, something went wrong during this heist. Mm-hmm. And through the dialogue and through flashbacks, you kind of see that, you know, he was a cop and so they were carjacking someone and he got shot. So it wasn't really the heist that went wrong, mm-hmm. but just some lady just shot him. And it's just like, I love when he just like captures you with dialogue. Mm-hmm. And and something really cool about his dialogue is not, not only is it very realistic and you can sort of identify with what the people are talking about, but he does it in a way... Because I hate when I watch movies and there's expository dialogue of like, let's take five minutes out of this movie and just explain to the audience who we think is stupid what's going on. Whereas Quentin Tarantino does it in a way where you're getting the story, 
but it's not just like pausing what's going on to tell you it's incorporated through conversation and you have mm-hmm. to sort of put the pieces together, together yeah, and, and th- yeah and and i i think that that's one of the because reservoir dogs is my favorite tarantino movie yeah and i that's w- one of the reasons why mm-hmm. and just because how he's able to tell an effective story because you know and people people really always ask like how can you make a heist movie with no budget easy you don't show the heist well exactly. what makes it exciting everything else that happens and everything else that he's able to accomplish with that film mm-hmm. it's it, you were right like it's an insanely well done movie and uh what are other tarantino favorites of yours now that we're on this whole director stand thing i really like hateful eight which was mm-hmm. his most recent movie yeah, and i feel like that's sort of like an underrated one. Oh yeah got, i mean like it, it got well critical reception but when people most people rank it on their list it's really low but that's on the top maybe three for me like oh, I, yeah. I love the hateful eight and one thing that every time i watch it you know how he always like lists his actors and the uh, and the uh, pre credits mm-hmm. like as the movie is playing. Yeah. And I remember watching it in theaters, and I remember seeing uh, what's his name? It's it's escaping oh, Ch- 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 uh, Channing Tatum. Yeah. yeah. You see Channing Tatum's name, and when I was watching it for the first time, I completely forgot that he was <laughs> in it because he just, at least for me, he just captures you in the movie and he just yeah. puts you in there. And I was yeah. so into the movie, and when he showed up, I was like get the hell out of here. Like, I completely <laughs> forgot he was in the movie. And I just love when a movie can do that to you. And I think Quentin Tarantino just does a great job of just drawing you in. Mm-hmm. And my personal favorite is Pulp Fiction because I, oh, yeah. I love the way that, you know, he just throws you in there. The first scene with Tim Roth and mm-hmm. uh, Honey... Uh, Honey... Whatever the girl's name is. Yeah. And they just, like, start you off with them robbing the restaurant mm-hmm. and the dialogue between them two. And I just... I love that he just tells a story out of sequence, and it's up mm-hmm. to you to put it together. Yeah, and Pulp Fiction's great, and uh, other I love Inglorious Bastards by him. Oh yeah, and um, I also really enjoyed uh, Django Unchained, mm-hmm. and just you know, and part of the reason I enjoy both of those films is because of how insanely good Christoph Waltz is in those movies. Oh, he like in Inglorious Bastards, he is scary. Yeah, he, especially yeah. that first scene whenever mm-hmm. he knows. Yeah, he's yeah. hiding the Jews, and he's just trying to get information out of him. And the way that Tarantino creates attention through dialogue is unlike any screenwriter out there. Because a lot of the times, suspense and tension can be done through very great direction. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Tarantino's not a great director. Obviously, he is. But 90% of that tension was the talking oh, yeah. between Christoph Waltz and the guy hiding the Jewish guys. Like, he... Just the way that conversation carried itself mm-hmm. of, I know what you're doing... And we're gonna get there, but this is fun, and like yeah. just that whole thing was so scary in that film. And he, and you can tell that the Christoph Waltz character is just toying with the guy, like yeah. like you said, he I know yeah. that you're hiding people, but I'm just gonna have fun with it. Yeah, and it's like the end of the scene is so terrifying, especially like at the end of that scene with the girl running away, and he like holds up his pistol, mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, whatever, like kind of like I'll find you later, like no big deal. Yeah. And then later in the movie. Whenever she's eating dinner, and then you just see the bottom half of him, and you're like, oh my god, is he going to recognize her? Mm-hmm. And then the whole time, Christoph Waltz is just like, mm-hmm. I've seen you before. Like, mm-hmm. you you look familiar, but he never really puts it together. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, another way of how he, like, that whole scene of how he creates tension with dialogue is just, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, you brought up the fact, like, watching Hateful Eight, and you saw Tar- um, Channing Tatum, and you were like, whoa, I-, I didn't realize that. That reminded me of a director that we talked about. Last time, but I'm going to bring it up obviously today, and that's Christopher Nolan yes. with the movie Interstellar. About, I want to say two thirds into that movie, maybe like a little bit less than two thirds, Matt Damon shows up. Hmm. Like, 
And I had no idea. He was in none of the marketing. There was probably reports that he was in the movie, but it was like completely over my head when I was watching it. Yeah. And Matt Damon shows up, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I remember watching it, and he sort of becomes the antagonist of the film. And, it's, and you know, Interstellar is a very well-done movie. And here's the thing. You know Christopher Nolan is such a fantastic director when you can watch a movie like Interstellar, which is a fantastic movie, and then when you're having conversations, you be like, yeah, it's probably one of my, my least favorite films of his. And you're like, but that movie's so great. And it's like, yeah, you should watch his other shit. Like, his movies yeah. are so fantastic. Like, what are some personal Christopher Nolan favorites for you? I think, obviously, I have to go with Dark Knight. I mean, yeah, and we talked about that. That last, last week, episode. Yeah. Um, but recently, I watched... Um, inception with you for the first time yeah and i'm glad i got to be there for that experience that kept me awake till like three or four <laughs> that night just because like i it had me thinking about like am i actually awake am i dreaming mm. and after watching that i love his the way he directs and the way he makes films because he leaves it very like ambiguous like mm-hmm. he he leaves it off so the story can continue, but it's up to you to continue it. Yeah. Like with Batman Begins, if he never did a trilogy, mm-hmm. but Batman Begins, he's handed the Joker card. Yes, and it's like, yes. oh my, like if he never made a Batman yeah. movie, you know Joker's coming. Yeah, yeah. But obviously he made the trilogy with Inception, mm-hmm. the spinning top. Yeah. Like there's another, there, the story continues, but it's up to you to put it together. And I think that's amazing that he has that power to do that. Yeah. And I think that the Dark Knight trilogy belongs in the conversation of best movie trilogies of all time. What what would you say are like other like would be categorized as that as like best trilogies of all time? I mean, you got the original Star Wars trilogy, you got Lord of the Rings, you got Back to the Future, Dark Knight trilogy. Hell, I'd even throw in the Toy Story trilogy if we're being fully honest. Yeah. Like I think there are a couple like a few trilogies like that. But going back to sort of Nolan's work, um have you ever seen the movie The Prestige? No. That's what we're going to watch next because oh my god. Yeah. It's literally Hugh Jackman versus Christian Bale magicians, and it's rival magicians, except throw in a Christopher Nolan and science fiction, and it just fucks you up, and you are not ready. Wow. It's really well done. If no one's seen The Prestige, I highly recommend that movie. And also, I sort of want to talk about the Dark Knight trilogy a little bit, and one of the reasons why I think it was as good as it was, and this isn't an original thought. Um, Ryan and I are big fans of a movie pundit named John Campia, and he brought up this on one of his shows, he said that he thinks one of the reasons why the Dark Knight trilogy is so good and solid is because he directed a movie in between each Batman movie. Okay. He made Batman Begins, then he made The Prestige, then he made Dark Knight, then he made Inception, and then he made Dark Knight Rises. So sort of... I thought he did Interstellar between the last two. No, he did Interstellar after Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was 2014? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just the way he was able to come back fresh. Like, instead of having, like, the baggage of the previous movie going into it, and then he was able to, like, refresh his mind, go from idea to idea, back and forth. And I think that really helped keep those movies fresh. Because when, when you look at, like, Sam Raimi, for example, who's one of our favorite directors, Spider-Man 1 and 2, Great 3 fell off the rails. Because mm-hmm. he did 1, 2, then 3. And then, you know, and there's a couple other examples of that that aren't, that are leaving my brain right now. Yeah. But I think that one of the reasons why that trilogy is so successful is because Nolan was able to leave it and come back, just boom, 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 boom. And it's unfortunate because a lot of studios now, they want things out like every year. And I think that you're not going to get a great filmmaker like Nolan to be able to do franchise filmmaking because they're going to want to take breaks and be like, look, yeah. I like this, but I want to do my own thing and then I can come back. And but- I think that's like somewhere 
like so where some of the best ideas come from is like if you like it doesn't have to be filmmaking it could be anything you're working on something and you step away and then you come back with like a fresh mindset i think that spawns some of the best ideas yeah and like with nolan like some of the best creative choices he's made with those movies Mm -hmm. but speaking of best trilogies i would have to say evil dead evil dead one two and then army of darkness and sam raimi like you said is one of our top directors and i just i think that is a solid trilogy and i just i it's a shame on me for not bringing it up like we're gonna bring up evil dead every episode i hope like even if we forget we're like oh wait we forgot to mention evil dead go watch evil dead yeah and uh Obviously, okay, we can't talk about directors without talking about Steven Spielberg, right? Yeah. And uh, there, on one of Kevin Smith's podcasts, he did a hilarious joke where he, he goes, he was like reading off a list and he goes, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Minority Report, War of the Worlds. These are movies I've seen. Steven Spielberg gets to live and see, say, these are movies I've made. And just like, that's insane. Yeah. Like when you think about how influenced by cinema Steven Spielberg really is. Like, I mean, or how, I should rephrase that, how much Steven Spielberg has influenced cinema. Yeah. It's crazy. And, like, the way he's able, he's one of the most diverse filmmakers ever. Like, no two films of his, unless they're in the same franchise, are sort of the same. Like, he directs all different types of films. Yeah. He directs sci-fi, Close Encounters. He makes horror adventure with Jaws. He makes, like, adventure... Fantasy with Ready Player One. Yes, adventure serial with Indiana Jones. Like... Just, he's able to make, and then he makes, like, historical dramas, like, Lincoln, Munich, um, Schindler's List. Like, there's nothing that man can't do. Yeah. And then throw in a movie like Saving Private Ryan, which is almost shot documentary style, Mm -hmm. and just, it literally, it puts you on D-Day, puts you in World War II, and it is such an intense experience of a film. So this is going to be hard for you, because you're, Spielberg's your favorite director, Give me, if you can, a top three of his movies. You ask me to do the impossible. <laughs> but, okay. I res- I'm going to put this out there. I reserve the right to change my answers. Of course. Because I could feel completely different about this tomorrow. This is on the spot. Talking right now. My top three. Like, I'm not even pulling out my phone anything. On the spot, top three favorite Spielberg movies. Let's do from three down to one the best. From three down to one the best. Okay, number three... Schindler's List. Ooh, solid. The reason I say this, because, like, Schindler's List, like, you don't think about Spielberg when you bring up Schindler's List, mm-hmm. because, like, it's, it's like, like, you think about the adventure-type movies. Yeah. Like, people forget, like, yeah, I mean, everyone knows Schindler's List is good, but people don't watch that movie and see how well done that film is. Whether you're talking about the girl in the red dress, whether you're talking about just the evil characters he creates through the Nazis and the fact that those were real people really just so unsettling mm-hmm. and the performance of Liam Neeson, just the way that movie's crafted is so wonderful and, and beautiful. the way he changes over that movie of where he like is a devoted Nazi party member and then yeah. he realizes what the Nazis are doing and mm-hmm. he, at the end of the movie, he is just so upset that he wasn't able to save everyone. That scene when he like looks at the, like it's, I cried, like when he looks at the ring on his finger and he's like, I could have saved like three more people with this and like yeah. he just breaks down it's such an intense powerful movie and all the people who work for him like i I can't remember the name of his uh, right hand man but he's Mm -hmm. like no you have no idea like how many people you've helped and liam Mm -hmm. neeson's just like no like i could have helped more Mm -hmm. it's just such a powerful scene Mm -hmm. and like just talking about it's giving me goosebumps like it's just so strong yeah and like and i number two i'm gonna go raiders of the lost ark okay like, I like all the Indiana Jones movies, except the Kingdom of the Colossal Disappointment, but <laughs> I, I, uh, Raiders is, 
so good. And and just because the way that it was directed in a style of sort of like it was it almost looks like an, an old nineteen forties movie. Yeah. But it came out in the eighties. And like it's shot in very long takes. Um, clo- like the like actors running up to the camera and it becoming a close up, mm-hmm. and the action sequences, the chi. Okay, you can't talk about Indiana Jones without the cheesy sound effects, but they're so good. Like you eat that shit up. The moment like yeah. you, like you hit someone and it's like, and it's like yes, like yeah, give me like, more that of that. Just reminds you of the Adam West like pow, yeah, blam. Yeah, yeah, and but like those movies are so well done, and the way that it it that story unfolds mm-hmm. is just insanely amazing and like the opening scene how iconic is the opening scene when he gets the idol switches it for the sandbag and then the ball runs after him yeah. like i know people who've seen that and they, they've never seen the movie but like really? they, they see that and they're like oh that's indiana jones like when when you have moments like that that outlive what the movie actually is then you know you've created something really special speaking of indiana jones how do you feel about them making a new one i am cautiously excited okay if that makes sense like i have faith in it but I also remember last time. So I'm sort of like... You're like on the fence. It's going to take a trailer to blow me away. I don't think that movie's coming out till 2020 or 2021, something like yeah. that. But They don't even have a cast list, do they? No, no. But if a really good trailer comes out, then I'll probably be on board. Yeah. But we'll have to see. And then obviously, number one, my favorite Spielberg movie is Jaws. Just, just because... And I mentioned it on the last episode, but I feel like that is in, belongs in the conversation of one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Just because he was a young filmmaker, it was his second feature film, everything that could go wrong in a film set goes wrong, and out of his, like, things being taken away from him, he creates the scariest aspect of that movie of not seeing the shark until about halfway through the movie, Mm -hmm. and you have the iconic John Williams score, you have characters, and this is what, like, every shark or monster movie, the mistake that they make now, that movie, without the shark, is still an interesting character drama oh, yeah. of Chief Brody being afraid of water, yet he's the police chief on an island because his family had to move. Mm-hmm. The mayor who will literally do anything just to keep the town afloat, even if it means keeping the beaches open while there's a fucking shark in the water. Yeah. You have Quint, who talk about great movie moments. The moment when he explains to Hooper and Brody that he was on the USS Indianapolis. That is just because, like, in that whole scene, they're like joking, laughing yeah. around, talking about each other's scars, and then it just gets serious. Yeah, just like that, and it's like. Oh my gosh. And it's just him doing a monologue, and then you... Because the whole time you're like, man, this guy hates sharks. Like, I'm like, what the hell is this guy's deal? Mm-hmm. And then he gives that speech, and you're just like, oh... And backstory to those who don't know the story of the USS Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. It was a World War II submarine that was carrying uh, either nuclear plans or the nuclear bomb. I can't yeah. remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's a top-secret mission. No one knew of its existence except for the people on board and high-class uh, U.S. officials. But basically, they're transporting the nuclear bomb, and a Japanese submarine sinks it, and it is in the most shark-infested water in the world, and I can't remember how many people were on board. Like, exactly. a significant people died in the sinking, mm-hmm. and then half the people who survived the attack were eaten by sharks. Maybe more than half. One day, uh, we'll make a USS Indianapolis movie, and it's going to be better than the, the Nick Cage one. Yeah. And, you know, Nick can fight me about that. Uh, <laughs> we, we have uh, someone who's eventually going to be on the show. His name's Nick Iricchio, and he's a huge Nick Cage fan. Mm-hmm. And one day, we'll, we'll have him on and just talk about his glorious love of Nick Cage, and that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, um, but okay. back to Jaws really quick. Yeah. There was something interesting you brought up to me the other day was 
whenever or before Jaws came out, you said uh, Richard Dreyfus went on some talk shows, and, mm-hmm. and what did he say about Jaws exactly? Um, and it wasn't just him, but like people were going on because like at, when that movie was coming out, it was widely accepted it was going to flop and be a huge failure. Mm-hmm. And Richard Dreyfus goes on a talk show. I don't remember which one it was, but he and you can find it like on the Jaws DVD, and he's saying, "Hey, I just want to say like this movie is not Steven Spielberg's fault." And he kind of was complimenting him, talking about how. This kid really tried hard. He never backed down. He always was trying to make sure to make the best movie possible. And he kind of felt bad that Universal was pressuring him. And it was almost sort of a sad thing, like, just seeing, like, him defending Mm -hmm. Spielberg. And then, of course, the movie comes out, and it breaks every record imaginable, and it becomes what it was today. It's, It's credited... As the first blockbuster, yeah, and and that that is because it spawned the summer movie um, blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. That, it started with that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, and you know the rest is history. Yeah, but yeah, and something really interesting about Steven Spielberg that we were actually talking about at work a few months mm-hmm. ago is that he was filming Schindler's List and Jurassic Park at the same time. Yeah, well, he made those movies in the same year. Same year, yeah. And, and while while one of them was in post-production, the other one was filming. And, like, that's crazy. He was able to make both of those and movies. And both of those are amazing movies. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy to think that at one point Jurassic Park movies were good. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> but uh, um, So who, who else is another personal favorite of yours that you just, like, have to see their movie? Um, Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, yes. That dude, I feel like he'd feel so disrespected if he knew I called him a dude. But, like, that guy <laughs> is such an amazing filmmaker. Just everything. Rear, rear Window, tongue-tied. Um, Psycho. Psycho obviously. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Then you have um, North by Northwest. Vertigo. Vertigo, The Wrong Man, which is an early film of his, but I really, really like that movie. And uh, just the way he would challenge what was going on at the time, like the Hayes Code and like censorship and how he would work around it and make birds, his films, yeah. birds, yeah, make his films so that he was always sort of challenging and like bringing up those rules to let mm-hmm. films not be censored. It's so, it's, it's, it's so well done. And yeah. like, and look at Psycho, color movies were a thing in 1960, but he didn't want to make a color movie. He made it black and white. He used Hershey chocolate syrup as blood for the love of God. Like, And I think that's brilliant that he made that movie black and white because obviously I don't know what it'd be like if it was in color, yeah. but I think it adds to the scare factor of it being in black and white. And again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Psycho, but it's been out for a while. Yeah. Like the last scene when... I can't remember his name, but Norman Bates. Norman Bates, yeah, yeah. When he comes out and he's his mom, but like he's in the shadow, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, like yeah. it's the mother. And then yeah. he comes yeah. out, and it's like, oh, it's him the whole time. Yeah, and then like just that creepy ass speech at the end when he's in the mother's mind, like the it's the mother personality mm-hmm. talking, and she's like, you know, I hated that I had to give up my son, but what else could I do? And then the fly lands on on his thigh, and she's like, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna kill that fly. Because then they look at me and they'll say, "Oh, look at Miss Miss Bates. She couldn't even harm a fly." And it's like, it's my so God, yeah, like it's it's so insanely well done. And uh, any directors you, that you want to bring up? Uh, I really like J.J. Abrams as well. Oh, I love J.J. Abrams. Like it, it's been a while since I've seen Super Eight. I believe I've only seen I that like once or twice. I love Super Eight, but I can't remember a whole lot about it. I just remember some kids that wanted to make a movie and like an alien attack or it, something. It was Stranger Things before Stranger Things. Yeah, that's what it was. And and I really enjoy that movie. And I think what really got me into J.J. Abrams was I never really knew anything about Star Trek, but when he, whenever he first made the movie, mm. I was like, "This is actually really good." Yeah, and like, and I, I I was never a huge Star Trek fan. Like, I'd watch like a couple episodes of that in Next Generation, but I wasn't like huge. That first Star Trek movie is fucking good. That is yeah. a great movie, and like, 
a lot of hardcore Star Trek fans don't like the second movie. I really like the second movie. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I feel like we'd get mm. a lot of criticism for saying that, but yeah. I really like Into I, Darkness with I uh, like Benedict it as well. Cumberbatch's Yeah, I, I like it, but I mean, of course, it's just coming from the perspective of casual Star Trek fans, and maybe yeah. there's something different about like being a diehard Trekkie. Right. But, you know, but yeah, no, I love J.J. Abrams. I thought Force Awakens was a great movie. Mm-hmm. And um, Mission Impossible 3. I love that movie. Yeah. And JJ, that was one of JJ's early directorial movies. Yeah. But yeah, no, I love JJ. And a director I want to bring up is Stanley Kubrick. Oh, yeah. Naturally. He's a perfectionist. You know, 2001, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, which has the best opening 30 minutes of any movie ever made. Not going to lie, I have not seen that movie all the way through. I've only <laughs> seen the boot camp. Because, like, honestly, if you ever watch that, you can make the boot camp opening. Mm-hmm. Or I guess yeah. the boot camp part of it, just as its own movie. Yeah, like you, you could just release that to a short film festival and it would win all the awards. Oh, it is so good. I just there are so many quotable lines from that. Mm-hmm. Just just the boot camp, and I just think it's it's great. Um, but someone else I want to bring up is Martin Scorsese. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I recently just watched a movie, The Departed. Oh, and for the first time. Yeah, I believe I watched it last week, but it has uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, um, Matt Damon, and it's it's a big cast. Yeah. And one thing I really like about it that you don't really see in other uh, crime thrillers is whenever there's an undercover cop, you don't see how it messes with him. Mm-hmm. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, whenever yeah. he is talking to um, Martin Sheen's his name, um, is that who I'm thinking of? I, I'm, I'm, Charlie I'm, Sheen's dad. Yeah, yeah, I, Martin, I, Sheen, Martin yeah, Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Whenever he's talking to Martin Sheen and uh, Mark Wahlberg, like you can just see that he is just messed up from living yeah. this double life. And I, I've, I've never seen that in a crime thriller with an undercover uh, cop. But I, I think that's so realistic mm-hmm. that you can just see how it just messes with him. That he's just yeah. pushed to the limit in his second life of like having to kill people for yeah. the, for the mafia and it's just so good. And something I like about that movie that's really subtle is whenever someone's about to die there's an X on the frame. Yeah. And that's just really interesting and that's actually a remake of a foreign movie. Really? Yeah, and I've never seen the original but I've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the um what's it called? Uh the original mo- the, I think Departed is the first remake of a foreign movie to win best picture. Really? I want to say it is. I could be wrong, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. And, but yeah, and I and you know Martin Scorsese, Taxi Driver. Um, so good. Ra- I watched that for the first time the other day. Yeah, it's a great movie. Raging Bull. He's an excellent film. Goodfellas, Casino. Good, like, come yeah, on. yeah. Like, those are just amazing. One thing really funny about me watching some of his films. I watched, I believe, Goodfellas and then Casino almost back to back. Yeah. And at least for me, it was so hard to differentiate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see the difference between the two movies because mm. they are so similar. Yeah. And I mean, granted, both movies are great. I'd have to go back and watch Casino again just so I can like pick up some of the plot points because yeah. like I was getting confused between that and Goodfellas because it's filmed almost identical. It's filmed yeah. basically same story, but both are based on true stories. Yeah. But it's just it. They're both great movies. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually in the minority where I think Casino's better than Goodfellas, really? but I recognize that I'm in the overwhelming minority in yeah. that. But I love, I love both films. All right, I, I would love to talk about directors more, and we could, we could talk about this all day, but I want to save some time at the end here to talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you're not going to miss anything else in the show because we are going to get into huge spoiler territory. So if you have not seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, have a wonderful day. <laughs> We thank you for listening to the next episode of the podcast and, you know, join us next time. But for those of you who have seen it and you want to hear our opinions, um, prepare yourselves. So, Ryan, 
Yes. What did you think of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? I want to list all the things I had problems with it, and then I want to talk about all the good things. Okay. Because overall, I don't think it's a bad film. Okay. I think that it has some major problems. Mm -hmm. One of them being... The girl was a clone. <laughs> Dude, that part of the movie, I just watched it and I was like, what? And then like they do that and they're like, oh, look, raptors run away. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't fucking go over the fact that yeah. there's a human clone in this movie. No, 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 no. But then it just does. Yeah. And they only do it to set up the moment at the end where she lets the dinosaurs go. Yeah. You could, there are so many narrative ways to get to that moment if that's what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Like, why? And the thing that makes it, that upset me about that moment a lot was I liked her character before that. Yeah. And, like, and I, I didn't like the kids in the last movie very much, but, like, this girl was really intelligent. She was running away. She was hiding. And I was like, this girl's smart. And then she was a clone, and I was like, God damn it. You know? Like, yeah. I... And, I mean, I, I get that every Jurassic Park movie, mm -hmm. every Jurassic World movie has those kids. I just... I couldn't really get behind the fact that this, like, 10, 11-year-old girl could, mm -hmm. like, find all these secrets. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I, I was kind of, like drawn away from that maybe if she was like a more of a teenager mm -hmm. then i could get behind her finding all these secrets and another one is the uh the toby jones character because yeah, yeah. he plays in the mcu mm -hmm. as uh, i can't remember but some Arnim Zola, the scientist, yeah the yeah. scientist the uh, hydro scientist mm -hmm. in the mcu he's more of like a goofy but serious character at the same time if that makes sense yeah. and him is like the guy who's auctioning off these dinosaurs like i, I couldn't get behind that just because like i see him as just, the doctor from hydra and yeah just all the villains were so cartoony yeah and, and like it was like haha we're the corporate evil bad guys and we're gonna sell the dinosaurs for money and it's like okay yeah just like the fact that like oh what can you make on a tuesday four million dollars how yeah. about eight a hundred million dollars uh -huh. like, uh -huh. and it's like this movie was made for $170 million, and they sold an extinct creature for, like, 20 Like Not just an extinct <laughs> creature. The last of its kind. <laughs> like, like for example, the last uh, raptor. Let's use that yeah. for an example, even yeah. though they don't auction it. Like, let's yeah. say they auction off the last raptor for $20 million. And like you said, the movie was made for $170 million. Like, And it's like, on. look, if, you, if you're going to go the corporate route of the greedy bad guys, at least get your money, right? Like, come on. Right. <laughs> know the exactly. worth of these animals. And another bad part is, if you're, I thought the best character was Blue, the yeah. raptor. If your best character is a dinosaur, <laughs> you have some major problems with your movie. Like, and th like that—that's what I used to say, but like, or what I still say about Rogue One and the droid. It's like that's their best character, mm -hmm. and that's not a good thing. But like, I, I agree with you. Uh, like, I think like Blue and like Chris Pratt's relationship was the best part of the movie yeah so what about you what, what other problems did you have with the movie well i don't think this movie is good i don't think it's horrible either don't get me wrong but i don't think it's good and part of the reason for that is how horrendously god-awful the script is like oh my god this script had no idea what to do with itself like at one point, it's like, should we be a fun dinosaur movie or should we be the really dark, depressing movie about the animals dying and that debate with the debate that lasts like a scene and a half and then they don't care. And then it's just like, like the actors tried really hard this time around. And I think Bryce Dallas Howard's performance is much better in this movie than it was in the last movie. But I, just the whole time, characters are making decisions that are not only not the right decisions, 
but your main heroes are making decisions that, that your audience does not agree with. Like, for example, the movie is bookended by Jeff Goldblum and Dr. Ian Malcolm, right? Yeah. And in the beginning of the movie, like, the whole debate of, like, oh, should we save the dinosaurs from this volcano? Jeff, Jeff Goldblum is like, uh, no, you should let these animals die. And literally me and a lot of people in the audience are like, yep, I agree with you, Jeff Goldblum. It is a bad yeah. idea because we've seen four movies of what happens when you try to fuck with nature. Like, yeah. And literally the heroes of the movie disagree with that choice and go to help and it's like you're the whole audience is behind jeff goldblum right now yeah. why why are you making i think at least one of them should have been against the idea and sort of forced into it yeah. and so you could have the constant debate throughout the movie and like at first chris pratt was but then he wasn't and then from there and then after he decided he wanted to save him then he flip-flop yeah, yeah yeah and like but it, there should have been like a more distinct like flip-flop and of course yeah. us saying how to fix a movie in which we are complete amateurs and don't know how to do any, like any of this in, in nearly well as those guys so let's point that out there too yeah but and yeah go ahead my probably my biggest problem with the movie like i, I don't want to get into the good things just yet hmm. but like that like it's it's trying to be a horror movie like that's kind of the feel Part i it. got yeah, yeah it's trying to be a horror movie like with that opening scene with the what was it? The not Adominus Rex because that was the last. It was movie. the T Rex, yeah. The uh, the Indoraptors, out they called it. Oh yeah, you like mean the scene towards the end. The yeah, like with yeah. with the girl and like yeah. it's going into the room. Like it's trying to be a horror movie, mm-hmm. but my biggest problem with it was watching the trailers, seeing where all the characters are yeah. throughout the movie. Like, and whenever they jump off the cliff and the ball, and like, okay, they're not gonna mm-hmm. die because yeah. I've seen the trailer. I know yeah. these characters live. But if they didn't show as much in the trailer as they did, I would have been like, "Oh my! Like, are these characters gonna die yeah, in this yeah. ball? Like, like there's stakes, but you already know the result, so it's like whatever. Like, if there were, if they didn't show that, I'd be like, "Oh my god, these characters are gonna die!" And like, it would increase the value of it at least to me. I agree. Yeah, no, the movie was marketed very poorly, yeah. and um, I think that, and you know, you bring up like this little girl had a traumatic experience with this dinosaur, yet she's the one that saves them all. Like, yeah. like it, it like didn't affect her at all. Like, oh god. It really upsets me. And, and, like, another problem I have with the movie is a lot of the characters, like you said, like, the characters are bad. A lot of them were just annoying and, like, didn't need to be there. I did not like the science, the the tech the, guy. Yes. I, oh. I found him to be very obnoxious. I did not like him either. He was, he was scared of breathing. Like, yeah. just anything, like, and, yeah, I agree. I didn't like the character very much. And something that just didn't make sense to me is, for a second, it's brought up, and... It upsets me because this could have been the plot of the entire movie of how the main villain approaches Bryce Dallas Howard and says, you created the Indominus Rex and you made money off of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you should feel bad about that. This movie opens and she's with a dino activist group trying to save the animals. I feel like that could have been the completely opposite. Like, I feel like this movie should have opened and she's for the dinosaurs no longer existing because she's like, look, I created a monster yeah. and it killed people. And... That's my fault. And it goes back to the whole flip-flop thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't understand, like, what the mindset of these characters. And, like, Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt's characters literally start over from the first Jurassic World of, like, oh, we're not together, but we used to be. And then, look, yeah. we're together again. Like, don't be shocked if in Jurassic World 3 they broke up in between movies. Yeah. And, and I feel like this movie was just made so that Jurassic World 3 could happen where the dinosaurs are just on Earth. Yeah. And or or on, in America. Yeah, and another big problem I had with it was 
when the main uh, antagonist kills James Cromwell with the pillow. I'm like, because mm. he, like, he's an old man sitting but, in his but bed. Like, like, but I didn't get murderer from that guy. Neither did like, I. Like, like, that was so out of place. It was. And, and like, also, like, yeah, he didn't give off the vibe of a murderer at all. And I think it would have been more sad if James Cromwell would have just naturally died. Yeah. And then the guy running it feels more bad that he did it and the, the man died right there. You I, know, I would like have been that. more behind it if he, like, fed him to the dinosaurs rather than just stuffing him with a pillow. Like, come, like... Like, I just... I don't... I can't... I can't get behind that. Yeah, and, like, and I... Yeah. I mean, there's kind of not really much to say more about that. And another thing that I found really funny during that movie is the... The militia guy. I, I can't think oh of his name. God. You know who that reminded me of? Who? In the original movie, The Hunter, where yes. he's like, clever girl. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that, those characters, like, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's except definitely the, Except this was a much more annoying version of that character. Yeah, like, where he had to get a tooth from every... Like, yeah, the like, whole reason yeah. it broke out of the cage is because, oh, I gotta get a tooth for my necklace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Get, and the, like, get out of here. And, like, and I... Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I really didn't like about the movie was... At the end, the animals get released into America. And this is a horrible thing. Like, this has really bad implications for the world. Oh, yeah. But the movie treats it as if it's like, the animals are free, yay. Mm -hmm. You see a raptor over a subdivision and there's happy Jurassic Park music. No! That raptor is gonna fucking murder everyone in that town! Oh, yeah. And it's like, why are we treating this like this is a good thing? Like, if that movie would have ended on a horror note, mm -hmm. and, like, Chris Pratt looks at the little girl and just, like, you have no idea what you just did, and then it just ends on, like, this, like, scary, like, yeah. this isn't good, then I would have gotten more behind the ending, but yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think we have some pretty solid points for the negatives of the mm -hmm. movie. I want to shift tones to the positives. Okay, okay. Uh, so do you have any positives from the movie that you want to bring up? Yeah, the opening sequence is fantastic. Because mm -hmm. um, J.A. Boyona is a really is a great director. He's made a bunch of great movies. And his style in this movie is very noticeable and very well done. Mm -hmm. I just feel like he didn't have a lot of creative freedom over the script and over the at least that's my justification as to why this he, this movie isn't better is because yeah. i feel like he had no control over it yeah but that opening scene was his and it was scary mm -hmm. it was inventive and classic at the same time yeah. like it had re it had like very minute references mm -hmm. but it also like the guy turns around lightning strikes you see the t-rex behind him and then he turns around and it's dark and he, he can't see it like yeah. that shit is so scary and just everything i loved the opening sequence and like I said, the stylistic direction of his was very good. And I think that there's some cool character moments. Mm -hmm. But I will say, the most heartbreaking part of the movie, and a part that even for someone who just was, was for, like, no, leave the animals on the island, let them die, is as they're pulling away from the island, you get a shot of, a dino of the bronchosaurus looking at the humans dying in the lava, like, why, why are you leaving me? Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking. I thought that was the most heartbreaking part of the movie for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with both the heartbreaking moment and the opening scene where it's like a... Like, he turns around and, like, he doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. And one thing I do like is all the horror shots of it. Like, mm -hmm. the lightning strikes. You, you see the T-Rex for a yeah. quick second, and yeah. then he turns around and it's not there. And I also really like when the uh, Claire character and the uh, tech scientist, or the tech guy, are in the, in the little bunker. Mm -hmm. And they look down the tunnel and there's yeah. nothing and then a lava drips and then you see the dinosaur for a quick second and yeah. then it's gone. Like, I love those horror shots mm -hmm. but I think that they just 
overused it a little bit, but I really liked those shots of like just a quick second you see the dinosaur and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, like yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah. And something else I really liked was, like you said, the Chris Pratt and Blue yes. relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I really like how they did it at the end where mm-hmm. Chris Pratt's like, I can save you, but you have to come with me. And Blue looks over the cage mm-hmm. and just runs away. Yeah. Like, I think that was great. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that moment. And I like the little, I mean, it's, it's a cheap dig at people's emotions, but I, I liked watching the videos of Blue as a baby yeah. and Chris Pratt just like going through and like when it did, did something spectacular, he'd look at the camera and be like, did you just see that? Like, mm-hmm. there's just something so like innocent and fascinating about that. Yeah. And um, I think I like the first Jurassic World more. And because like, I don't think Jurassic World's a fantastic movie either. Don't get me wrong. But that movie was fun as hell. Yeah. Like, despite all its flaws, like, kind of really bad characters, story was whatever, you, you got to see the park open for the first time, and you got to see why that was a bad idea. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the funnest times I had in a theater that year. Yeah. And... That like and I like I can pop in Jurassic World, eat some popcorn, and be like, yay! Yeah. You know this movie. I kind of have to watch all the other ones and be like, well, this one's part of the franchise. Got to pop it in. You know, I me mean, don't get me wrong. I like it more than like Jurassic Park three, maybe even more than The Lost World. Also, but I overall I was kind of really disappointed with it. Mm-hmm. One thing else that I really liked from it was some of the camera work that they did, some of the cinematography with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Especially like when the Indoraptor is going into the girls like room and you it yeah. goes down and then it just like shifts all the camera and it's yeah. like it starts upside down and then it's like right yeah, side up it and rotates I think it and it goes and there's a couple dutch angle shots yeah, in there too that was really cool yeah i agree but then at the same time like we're gonna take the indominus rex and mix it with a raptor the indominus rex was already part raptor yeah because in the original jurassic world mm-hmm. like whenever all the raptors are about to fight mm-hmm. it it talks to it and yeah. it's like i'm the alpha now basically yeah. it's like yeah, what yeah, he's yeah. getting at and, and like, blue just turns around yeah. and chris pratt's like oh or like, whoever, whoever yeah, they yeah, were yeah. i can't remember exactly who they were yeah with. but like yeah. it's already part raptor so you're making it more raptor yeah like i don't i didn't understand like why that was mm-hmm. like it's an indoraptor and it's like it was technically already an indoraptor like i don't yeah Oh my, in watching the movie, I thought that this was poor writing. I thought this was lazy writing. At the very end, when it dies, it just happens oh. to fall on the Stegosaurus's horns. Yeah, like, yeah. get at, like, you didn't know yeah. on the roof in the glass that it was going to fall on that. Like, yeah. at most, it would have fell, got back up, and you would have been screwed because yeah. it would come after you, essentially. Yeah. And, like, it just happens to fall on those horns. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. And overall, I feel like mixed t- t- to negative about the movie. Yeah. They had some redeeming qualities, but overall I was very disappointed with it. I, I would agree too, but I mean, any movie, like you said, we're amateurs. Like I have to admire like all the time and effort that oh, they yeah. put into that. And like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, this is coming from the perspective of people who, you know, make short films for fun. And, you know, we are on no way, shape or form on the same caliber level of filmmaking those are probably never will be. Yeah. So, you know, also think about that from that perspective. Like we're not trying to claim that, you know, we we're, can we can do what they do. Yeah. So, you know, keep that, you know, in your mind when you listen to us review stuff. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I think that'll do it for the second episode of the Movie Nights podcast. Uh tune in next time guys. We appreciate for everyone listening. Once again, I'm Dalton Murdett. I'm Ryan Warner. Have a great day, everybody.